And welcome live to the studio here for Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Thank you for joining me in what is a fascinating week for small business politics and all things admin. Uh, welcome to the show again. You are, of course, in Triple H 100.1 FM studios and live across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Thank you for joining me today. Now, it's been a big week for small business. There's lots of things happening in the news when it comes to the election, and we're all sitting down and deciding what it is that we are going to do when it comes to voting. Remember, everybody, everybody's vote counts. Your vote is just as important as shortens, and you need to make sure that it counts get yourselves educated and that's what today's show is all about. We've had some fantastic guests leading up to the election and today I'm very excited to be welcoming Peter Strong who is the CEO of the Small Business Council of Australia. Now did you even realise that we as small businesses even have a powerful advocacy team on your side? Sometimes we can all feel a little bit isolated as though nobody is speaking for us as though our voice is not being heard when in fact it actually is. Did you know that they regularly lobby federal government in relation to policy decisions which directly affect you, your bottom line, your growth and your operations. Well, the Small Business Council of Australia exists because businesses don't have time, resources and the expertise that is required to be alert to the myriad of legislative and regulatory change that affects them on an ongoing basis. Their passionate and fierce leader is Peter Strong, sitting aside from me today, and he's a small business owner who took his belief in the small business all the way to the Canberra and now dedicates his life to supporting pretty much each and every one of us. Thank you for joining us today, Well, thank you, Alex. (laughs) I'm very excited to be welcoming you to the program because um, very few people out there don't know who you are when it comes to politics. And they really, they speak so highly of you. They say you're an advocate, not only an advocate, you're a fierce advocate, a dog with a bone, I've heard people say. And it's great to have someone who speaks for us, not only because, you know, there's plenty of people who get up on their pedestals and go, I represent small business, but you've lived it. You've lived it, you've breathed it. Tell me a little bit about your background and why you're so perfectly positioned to to speak on our behalf. Well, um, I actually, when I was very young, I drove trucks and did those sorts of things. Then I joined the public service and I joined the Commonwealth Employment Service. God bless it, it was a great thing. But it was out in regional Australia where you had closed labour markets, etc. And I always knew I was going to leave the public service, but gee, I learned a lot in that job. It was a, and what I learned was about small business. So before that, uh, my father was on the executive of the Australian Workers' Union. Uh, my mum started her business in 1967. So I had this mix of things going on. What did your mum do? Uh, she ran her own market, little marketing company, market research company. Oh, fantastic. Uh, for many years. I just, my, my brain went to Mad Men just then. Oh. <laughs> you can imagine her just being one of those people that feeds it all into the advertising agencies. Well, Mad Men and my mother, there, that fits in. I think, <laughs> you know. I'll let her know I said that and she'll love it. She, um, anyway, so she did that. So she was involved in the union as well, but she also ran her own business. And, mm. and Dad left the union. Well, he didn't. Yeah, he left the executive eventually. And he said to me, Peter, you know, he said, because he really believed in safety. That's what he was about. And he mm. said, what we've done is fight among ourselves. We haven't really done anything for the members. Interesting. And, uh, and he remained a union member his whole life. There was no dramas there. But and, uh, while I was in the Commonwealth Employment Service, I would meet employers coming in the door. And in regional Australia, most of them are small. Mm-hmm. And you meet those wonderful people. I mean, every town I was in had at least, well, normally one or two dodgy, dodgy people. Everybody knew they were dodgy, right? And, and of course, you have dodgy people. But the rest of them were, were fantastic. They were, not all of them were, were you know, were perfect but they would come in and they'd be looking to put someone on. They said, look, this young person, young woman, young man, they've been unemployed for a while, but I'm happy to give them a go. What, what do you recommend? And I discovered this side of, of 
humanity. And it's not just employers, it's, you know, all of us, most of us are pretty good people. But I thought, gee, they're the, they're the, and that word backbone is being used too much, but they're an integral part of any mm. regional community. Then you come into the cities, it's the same thing. You know, we've got big businesses that are, and we work well with big businesses in the main and I may, may come back to that. So I learned a lot from that and then I left. Uh, I ended up doing a lot of work with the World Bank, United Nations on micro and macroeconomic reform in the old Soviet Union and Turkey and China and, and I helped set up a business incubator for women in business in China. Fantastic. Uh, Before incubator, incubators were even incubators, I imagine. Well, well, yeah, I'd been involved with incubators since oh, they really started taking off in Australia in about 91. Uh-huh. And uh, so we set up the first all general purpose incubator for women over there. So that was, that was fascinating. And then um, I came back to Australia. I became a, well, some people would say a single parent. I'm not sure if that's right, but I had two teenage boys and me at home on oh, my on oh my word, what a, what a time. And <laughs> that then, was the challenging part of your life. <laughs> the most challenging, without a doubt, without a doubt. But then um, I thought, look, I've always wanted, I've always run my own business in the background, um, publishing books, etc. And then I saw a bookshop and I spoke to the owner. He was very keen to sell, but he wanted to sell to the right person. I hope that was a good thing. And so I, I owned a bookshop for many years in Canberra. And as it was at a time, the first few years were fantastic. But then Amazon came along e-books came along, the government down there started putting car parks anywhere but near my place. Um, so it became that classic difficulty of going mm. through industry restructuring. I put a wine bar in, I put a coffee shop in, I started running events. We had Dan Kelly come along and we had uh, Dave Graney and people like that. It was awesome. But it just didn't work. And I was also, halfway through that, started to do this job. And you can't run it, you can't do, do two jobs. You must struggle at times doing your radio show as well as doing your business. Mm. And so doing Cosboa and that didn't work. So I sold the shop and, um, and here I am. But it was, it was a, yeah, to employ someone is a, such a different experience from running your own business where you don't employ anybody. Absolutely. It, it, and it's that first step, isn't it? It's that first step of growth and understanding a whole new gamut of legislation and trying to understand what the right thing is because majority of businesses want to do the right thing, don't they? That's been your experience and it yeah. continues to be the case with um, you know, associations through you speaking yeah, to well, government. Look, I always say 95% of uh, businesses want to do the right thing. Mm. Of course they do. The mm. 5% give us the rest of us bad name. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. And when, we, when I hear from unions, and let, let me say, there is no democracy on the planet without unions. Right, I come from a union background. We've got to have them. The problem in Australia is they're not trusted very well. In the OECD research, I think we were fifth lowest, just ahead of the United States, where they're run by the mafia. So, you know, but I, <laughs> only slightly better. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I will argue that you know, ninety-five percent of employers do the right thing. Ninety-five yeah. percent of employees don't steal from other employees. Mm. But in the bigger businesses, you still have signs in the in the tea room saying, "Don't leave valuables here." So that 5% really let everybody else down. 95% of union leaders don't use their members' funds to go to brothels or don't, don't embezzle their members' funds. But that 5% give the rest a bad name. Mm. But the unions can't claim to be perfect. We can't. Employees can't. No, nobody is. The police can't. Nobody can claim that. And that's why we need regulators. That's right. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about the role of uh, COSBOA. And so you came into the role in what year? Uh, 
2010, no, 2009. And it really in the last few years, it's really gained in momentum and in reputation and reliability. And, and people, and you're, you're becoming to, to become well known as being the voice and the advocate for small business. How do you do that on such a national scale when you're based in one place and small business is literally in every corner of Australia? How do you do that? How do you bridge the gap? Well, and thank you. And just to go back to Cosby, we were set up in seven, 1977. Mm by people, and I love reading the first set of minutes, and they said there is no unambiguous voice for small business in Canberra, right? So there's plenty of uh, people that represent big and small. If you represent big and small, when push comes to shove, you're representing big. Mm. I mean, that's the way it works. They've got the money. They've got the money to pay you to represent them. Therefore, you're representing the people who pay you. And there's plenty of examples of that. So Cosborough was only small. We didn't care about anything else Mm. except small business. Our members are associations, Right, so when it comes to looking after members, like the Bookkeepers Association, they know what bookkeepers want. Mm-hmm. Um, the commercial asset finance brokers know what commercial asset finance brokers want. And it's quite different. A lot of similarities, but you communicate differently. It's a different time frame. All these sorts of things happen. Some have got lots of members. We've got uh, Flying Solo. You may you know Flying Solo. Absolutely. So- Robert Garish was on yep. the show a few, a few months ago. Yeah, he's, he's a awesome. wonderful advocate. I mean, he was... He was doing that for, for decades before awesome. the internet was even the internet. And he's about micro. He's, you know, mm. and he, so they've got 120,000, I think, in their network. You've got um, the Human Resources Institute. So you're not just speaking to actual professional associations with people who have membership and you have to have the CPD credits and all that stuff. You're not just speaking to them, but you're actually speaking to large groups of people mm. who may not even necessarily be a paid member. So like the Flying Solo community, that's a, that's a great members. way to reach out. Well, well and, and that's the, the, the thing about... We needed to step away from ideology, mm-hmm. right? So when I took over the job or when I was offered the job and I'd, I'd been on the board, I was actually for the first and only time in my life a treasurer, but um, for various reasons. And we sat down, really good board then, you know, and boards flow up and down. My board at the moment is awesome. It's just awesome. And we said, look, we've failed. You know, we've been fighting the good fight, but we've got GST, we've got paid parental leave came in, we've got superannuation and everything that goes with that. We've actually, it's worse than it was. And we talked among ourselves and I said, well, if I do the job, I'm going to act like a unionist in many ways because we're people. Mm. Now, the ideologues of laissez-faire economists and others will say, well, you're a business. And I think, well, no, that means you're an idiot. We're a community. We're a community. We're, we're people who are integrated with one another through community aspects, through working with one another, through just connections. Um, but uh, I think what has been lacking is is just that that connectivity. And now with things like the internet bringing everybody together and mm. communicating better, it's almost like we're starting to get a bit more of a voice and we're not working yeah. in isolation anymore. Well, and well, one thing I've said to the regulators is, number one, is I they're not the enemy. So I've said, if, if you treat me like the enemy, I'll treat you like the enemy. And we shouldn't be. We're on the same page here. But we're people. Mm. If you treat us like a thing, like a computer or a truck or a shop. Or an engine room. Or, thank you, or, <laughs> or a backbone, mm. then we will, you know, you're not going to do a very good job because you can design the best policy ever. But if you can't communicate it or it's too complicated, it will fail. So let's talk about uh, the, the structure of COSBO. Who do you report to? You report to just your members? Do you have well, any... Well, yeah, I rep- report to a board. Mm-hmm. Um, my current chairman is a fellow called Mark McKenzie, mm-hmm. and I've got um, nine people on the board. Uh, and just out of interest, three of those positions are allocated for diversity, which is basically for women, which is very important, um, which is good. We've had four women, I think, at the most on the board at any given time. So it, it represents small business. And as we know, more and more women 
well, they've always been in business, in my opinion. <clears throat> but um, so that's it. And our members then elect the board. Right. So we've got 32 association members and they come together at an AGM and elect the board. So to help people who are listening, it, it might be a sort of a giant association of associations that's because it, we all body. understand how our associations work. So is that yeah. a way of It's a, a classic big body. And the reason it exists because um, Cosborough for a long time was just me. Now it's me and I've got a full-time person, Tara, working with me, which is just fantastic. And the, our job's lobbying. That's our job. But my job is not to look after the small business people because nobody can look after two and a half million small business people. It's stupid. So the transport company knows how to deal with their members mm-hmm. and the asset finance brokers knows, knows about theirs. And we've got some small companies. We've got the Stock Takers Association. I think they've only got 30 members, but they know how to talk to theirs. You know, so you they do that job. They do all those sorts of things. And then we come together and say, what's the big issues you want me to fight? Uh-huh. Um, every now and then one of them will have their own peculiar issue. So I would work with them to open a few doors or just to talk about a communication campaign. But my job otherwise is to go the big picture stuff saying, okay, let's talk about red tape, workplace relations and its effect upon everybody mm. uh, and let's make it simpler. So how do you get in front of the politicians? Do you go, look, I need to talk about this so I want a meeting or is it more that you um, speak in a room with a consultation panel and you represent small business in that capacity? How does it work? All, all those things. So when I first started out, of course, nobody knew who, who, who I was and a lot of people knew about Cosbo, but they didn't take a lot of notice for various reasons. So I thought, well, I've got to get attention. So I, I love media. So we went out and did a few things. I even have a, had a rap song at one stage, which is still out it's there. It's real guerrilla marketing. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and, but also the other thing is, uh, in my time going back a long time as a public servant, mm. I learned that you could develop a great policy and then all these groups come out and attack it. And you think, do you understand how much work went into that? So you never get everything you want in one hit. It's mm. just, it's impossible. So if someone gave us something or did something that I thought was good, we'd praise it. None of this halfway rubbish. It was good. We'd praise a lot. If it was bad, we'd give it a hammering. This middle of road stuff, well, gets middle road results. So we were out there. So I think the, the media and the um, politicians and the public service understood that we were about small business. We weren't Politically, we weren't on one side or the other and nowhere near it. We weren't about ideology. We were about a reality and practicality. So it was a blend of both um, fighting for what your members and your associations wanted, but also um, supporting government if they were doing something positive. So is that the fine balance that you're always trying to find? Well, that's it. It, it, it creates an interest in politics at times because I always say you work with governments. You don't work with oppositions. You sort of Oppositions are very important, obviously, especially at this time of the electoral cycle. But you work with government. They're the ones that will do things. And mm. you work with the crossbench and you work with different people and, and you get the message to them about what you want and why. And you argue with them. I've had some great positive, constructive arguments with different people about why they think one thing. And, and, me, uh, and I talk about the practicality. We run a, a summit every year. It's our big event. And at the summit, we talk, we get a panel of, um, of all the regulators and they love it. They turn up, the heads of regu- the, the head of the ATO, the head of the Fair Work Ombudsman, they all turn up and sit on a panel together. And it's a very powerful thing because these are the people that can make our lives absolutely miserable mm-hmm. or they can do a good job and get rid of the business people who make our lives miserable because they're doing the wrong thing. And we talk about how do you communicate better, how do you make better um, staff in their end so you don't get one of their staff goes a bit rogue and starts attacking us. We understand they're not perfect. 
So we work with them to as well to get that message out there. But our public service, whether people like it or not, it's world class. I've mm. been around the world, as I said before. I've I've seen the, the Swedish, I've seen the Germans, I've seen the Brits, I've seen the uh, those people. The Canadians have got a really good public service than New Zealanders have, and we have. And we're up there. Oh, we are. So we should be proud of it, really. Yep. And and we sh- and we're not perfect and we've got to keep working on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and similarly, we should also be proud of peak bodies such as Cosboa, who work so closely with, with legislators to try and improve um, the life that we have. Tell me a little bit about um, uh, the Small Business Ombudsman Office and how you work with Kate Carnell in that role. Um, because obviously, is there any crossover there? How, do, how does it work um, with the two of you side by side? Well, when, when the office, um, a bit of history here, we've been looking for an ombudsman or a commissioner or something since 1977. So when um, it was uh, Brendan O'Connor, when it was in the Gillard government, and uh, they announced the Small Business Commissioner, which is big news, now, it didn't have a lot of power, but it was still a federal commissioner, and we were, we were very pleased about that and then Bruce Bilson when he was shadow, uh, when he was small business uh, minister he turned it into an ombudsman and gave the office a lot of power really good power it needs more I might add and the point of Kate Carnell that was great now Kate was the head of the Chamber of Commerce at the time the Australian Chamber of Commerce so she moved in and there was some thought that maybe Cosboa could fold because we're not there to exist. We're there for small business. And if we do our job, we'll, we'll move on. Mm. Um, and people said, oh, let's see what happens. And it works really well. Kate Carnell is much more aggressive than I am around a range of things. And she says she's the ombudsman. Her job's to do that. And so I find that I can, I can go and I, mean, I can be aggressive, as you know. But I go and work and say, well, this is what Kate's saying. And I, my guess is this is the reason why. But Kate and I, of course, we talk. Quite often, Kate talks to the leaders of lots of associations. Quite often, she set up a, a very good forum of associations. She set up a little hub in Canberra where industry associations and, and small business can go to when they visit Canberra looking to do some lobbying. Mm-hmm. So that we do work together. As I say, we, I think we agree on everything, but it's the level of agreement yes. that at times is interesting. And, of course, by what you're describing, she has, uh, I guess, more power to speak independently as an ombudsman, whereas you're working more because your professional associations are requesting certain things of you. Have I got that right? Well, that's right, and I, and I can be much more aggressive with certain things that, that Kate, Kate Toffers couldn't be. Mm. Plus, she's got more resources. So, so with the banking area, Kate's putting a lot of time and effort into that, right? So that means because we've got very few staff, well, I'll concentrate on other areas. So it, it's working quite well. And as I say, if, if Kate's office does all the work, then we're quite happy to fold. But at the moment, the members are saying, well, there's no need. We're, we're recognising things that other people aren't seeing. Uh, and we're bringing that to the attention of Kate, Kate Carnell's office and to the politicians. So um, still complexity is the big issue for us. So by the sounds of it, if you're part of a professional association, you might want to ask out there to my listeners, um, is your professional association part of COSPO? And if not, why not? And would you like them to be? And just have that sort of conversation with them because it is important that we have someone lobbying on our behalf at a national level. You're here at Triple H 100.1 FM with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We're going to do some community service now and be back after this. We are pushing, Peter, now that I've got you in the studio, we've been pushing for having a co-working space in, here in Hornsby because we have one of the highest proportions of home-based business and the highest proportions of non-employing businesses. Now, nobody's actually asked the question as to why that is, but what we've got is a whole lot of businesses who are completely isolated from one another, working in the same four walls, and what we want to see is a co-working space. Are you a, are you a fan? I've got Peter Strong with me, by the way, those of you who just tuned in. Um, 
Are you a fan of co-working spaces? Do you think they're important for small business to collaborate and mental health and all those aspects? Well, yeah, they wouldn't work if they weren't important. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 you know, the, the market does decide in this particular case and so you've seen them grow over the years and, and different versions are tried until they come up with what suits the community. But is it something that should only be commercially viable? Is it not something that you believe that... I mean, I'm a, I'm a great believer that local councils should all have some sort of a co-working space that isn't the library where you're fighting the space with HSC students, but actually is a, a space where people can collaborate and work together and there's free meeting spaces. I mean, look at what the fabulous work that Gosford City Council is doing. What's happening up in Darwin with Paspali? They've got that amazing small business area. What you described with what um, the Ombudsman is doing in Canberra. All of these things happen, seem to happen in sort of major metropolises. Wouldn't it be great to get them into the outer suburbs of places like Sydney so that small businesses can access them. Oh, yeah, and it is a role of government, um, local government in, in the cases you mentioned, mm. to get involved because the benefit is to the community. Absolutely. The benefit is to everybody and um, the, the really good ones I've seen work have had government um, donate a town hall that nobody uses anymore or whatever it is. So, without a doubt, and, and people in, in home-based businesses, they need that. They, if I could tell a story, one of the very, I think it was the second home-based business association ever set up in Australia in, in Canberra in 1995 or something and it was set up um, and we put an ad on the radio. I was working for a, 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 an incubator at the time mm-hmm. and we put an ad on the radio saying if you're a home-based business and you want to set one up, turn up at this event at yeah. six, uh, 7.30 on a Friday night, mm-hmm. we thought, oh, it'd be good if we got 10 people. Mm-hmm. We had, we couldn't move. There was like 68 people in a room that you couldn't fit them in and so we set this association up and then the government got very excited about that and started saying, how can we help them grow? And the association slowly dissolved because... They weren't there to grow. They were there to meet each other and get rid of loneliness yes. and network. Yeah. If you want to grow, you're not staying at home. No. no normally, <laughs> normally you, you're out doing something else. So the government learned, oh, probably all, we all learned a few things then. We want human company. Yeah. And when you're working at home, it, it can get lonely. We know that. And it is, it is a mental health issue as well, trying to bring people together and, and it helps with building relationships, of course, and all that all that. Yeah, and then stuff. you support each other with your job. So I need someone who's an expert writing this report. Oh, I find someone in the home base network. And we start, and I'm in, in your area, there's absolutely some very bright and experienced people, mm. you know, with really good experience in industry, et cetera. And we've got the, the added benefit of being a, a transport hub as well. And we've got, you know, a, a centralised area where you've got lots of space. So what we're pushing for here in Small Biz Matters in, in our area in particular, and, and those of you out there who are listening and thinking, look, wouldn't it be great to get some sort of a, a small business hub happening? It can happen on the ground level. You can talk to and, and approach community spaces and, and your local council to get a group happening. Yep. And it can happen in a very small ground well kind of way, just get a group of people together and show that there's a demand there um, and then start talking to your local council. Yeah, and it's driven by pers- by people, by personalities, so don't, leave, don't government, leave it to one. Government loves bums on seats, they really do. Oh yeah, and if we go out and praise them, <laughs> yes. it's even better. Even so, better. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about Cosbo. So here today you're talking about the uh, Council of Small Business for Australia, which of course you are the, the CEO. Um, I want to talk to you about um, this little thing coming up called an election. So let's talk about the um, uh, the federal budget that was delivered only a few weeks ago. And what did it mean for small business? Was there anything really exciting in there that you heard and went, well, that's just great. That's what we've been fighting for. That's what we've been advocating for. And you got excited about it. Or it was it the same old, same old, in your no, opinion? We, we gave the budget eight and a half out of 10. Ooh. I know, it's pretty high. It I, I've got to say the government was happy. <laughs> um, because it did. It didn't give us everything we wanted, but they they, they increased the instant tax write-off. Yes, um, up to which, 25. Up to 30. It's up to 30, uh, yeah, that's right. which was really, which was 
that, that's only $5,000, but it makes a difference to the budget, so we were pleased with that. There was a focus uh, across vocational education training. There was um, obviously a focus on our, on our mental health, which had been moving up to it, mm-hmm. and also on financing. Uh, small business financing be, becomes such an issue. There's a credit squeeze on at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's not even if you want to grow, if you want to remain a business, often you need money. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how it works. And it's getting more difficult to get that money. So, But how do regulators have any power over um, the ability for banks or small business lenders to offer funds? Isn't that all regulated by or, or controlled by the cash rate? Well, it is APRA and the Reserve Bank in particular. Uh, have a big play there. Now, the Reserve Bank, I think they do a fine job. Mm-hmm. But, um, as I say, nobody's perfect, but they really are world class. APRA, we have a problem with the Times. That's the Prudential Authority. I think they've been in an ivory tower for too long, and because they did a good job around the financial, um, the global financial crisis, and they did, I think they're sitting on their laurels. They need to get off their laurels and get back out. And, and surely the, the Royal Commission put them down a peg or two. Oh, well, it should have. Yeah. Yes, without a doubt. So, and the trouble with the Royal Commission, and it was net, well, we, it did a good job, but it's meant that money has dried up now as the banks have been very afraid to go out. And that's then, right. And the trickle down effect is now it's even yep. become even more difficult for small business. Why do you think that's such an important, crucial part of um, a pushing and lobbying for those sort of things to happen in the budget from a, from a COSPEL perspective? Well, first of all, one of the things I've said is most of us don't want a loan. Right, this is the thing we've got, always got to remember um, is this 2.1 or 2.5 million or whatever there are. And most of us are happy doing what we're doing and we can get some money if we need to buy something. It's, um, and we got some research into that and the research with the, with the Australian Bankers Association showed that most of us don't want a loan. About 15% of people do want a loan. Well, that's two to 300,000 businesses. That's not a few, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And in the main, they wanted to grow. That's why most people do want a loan and they couldn't access the finance. And this is going back three years, so this is before the credit squeeze, so that number would increase. So there's the problem. Two or 300,000 businesses, if they all employed one person each, we'd have no, no unemployed left just about. So they're the, they're the ones we've got to get to. They're the ones we've got to talk about. Stop talking about all small business mm. and start talking about the ones who want the money. So the, the uh, loan-to-value ratio where um, about a year and a half ago, if I, wanted, if I had $100,000 worth of assets, I could por- probably borrow 80000 against that. Yep. Right, it was 80%. Now that's down to 30%. Now, if I'm trying to grow my business and I can only access $30,000, each $100,000 worth of assets, all of a sudden, much more difficult than it was a few years ago. So the government responded to that. With a, with a range of measures, which was good to see. And certainly the opposition's looking at that. I know the Greens are looking at it. Everybody understands that. And uh, I think a lot of people understand the small business role now a lot differently from 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was theory. So why is it that if, if you're talking about two or 300,000 businesses, why, why is it that we don't have the power behind us uh, in, ter- in terms of supply and demand, say, look, we've got We've got the the assets. We just want to borrow money, which we will pay back because we're successful businesses. Why is the what's going against us? Is it just because of you know the cash rate and everything else, and banks not wanting to lend because of the risk? Well, well, it's all those things, but it's the attitude of the people that design it, right? And you know, we call it the laissez-faire economics, right? The people that say let the market decide. Now, we've we've challenged that. Now, we've said you've got to stop saying let the market decide. We believe in free markets free trade agreements, all these things, you've got to start saying we need to make sure the market can decide. There's a big difference between those two statements. One statement is from laissez-faire economists, or we call them lazy and unfair economists, (laughs) and the other one is from 
people who understand ideology, but they also understand reality and they make sure that the market can compete. And the problem with the loans at the moment in the financial area is the the policies are designed by people who don't understand what's happening out there. Now, one of the things that the government really uh, supports and um, tries to say is one of their successor stories is cutting red tape. Now, you and I know the reality of the situation, which is that small business is pretty much tripping over red tape in their everyday workings. Is there anything that the government can do or have they just tied themselves in knots? Is there anything that they've said recently that really you got excited about when it comes to cutting red tape? Have there been any successes here or are we just getting thrown more and more legislation such as STP, such as, um, you know, a tightening of, of, of super regulations? Is it getting harder to work in small business or are they, you know, are they really succeeding when they say that they're cutting red tape? Well, we're, we're heading towards making it easier using technology. So single touch payroll, Um, e-invoicing and a lot of that has been driven by industry now the problem becomes when when government agencies get too involved with it (laughs) and there's some great people there but you'll get some like you'll get the secretary of of an agency who hasn't been involved and gets to look at it and starts making decisions you think no you come and talk to me or you go and talk to Matthew Addison the, the head of the bookkeepers or someone who's heavily involved in this don't start making decisions based upon what you just read uh-huh. you know you've got to come and talk to us now can I give you an example of the worst red tape uh, it may win our award yet for the worst red tape ever there's an award where we're going to have our first award of red tape the worst red tape of like the, the year. raspberries for red tape that would be awesome let's do that yeah, we're, we're, I have so many examples I can give you Peter well we'll come back to you and ask for, for that because we're <laughs> going we're to call it the gobbledygook cup <laughs> you know, because that sort of sums it up. Many years ago when paid parental leave came in, and it's a good thing, we said, great, this is great, right? No, nobody had a problem with it. And then the government at the time, and it was Jenny Macklin, a really, really lovely person, but she lives in the world of ideology, right? She's and, a politician. Yeah, politician in the, in the Gillard government. So paid parental leave paid by government, fantastic. Um, but she said, oh, we're going we're gonna to run the pay through the business. And I said, well, no, that's, why would you do that? Just pay the person direct. And why are you running it through the business? And of course, being from my background, I said, you're doing that from an ideological point of view so that the person who's on leave thinks they're still part of the workforce. Mm -hmm. And she said, yes. And I said, well, look, in small business, you're either part of it or you're not. I mean, in some small businesses, you've got to say to the person on parental leave, please stop coming in every five minutes with the child. You know, (laughs) you're disrupting the workplace and others you don't see for six months. That's their choice. Giving them a pay slip run by me is, is not going to make a difference. But what they said is you have to run that through your pay system. Now, I pointed out to them that it's very difficult to bring that pay into your chart of accounts, and you know all about chart of accounts, and very difficult to take it out again. Because when you bring it in, it's not a loan, it's not a grant, it's not income, it's not anything that I know I could put a word against. So you bring it in as other. Is that how you'd bring it in, Alexi? I don't even try and get my head uh, around thank these you, yeah. things. So, and, it's red and, tape. <laughs> but, and they said you have to put it through your pay advice. Yeah. And I sat down with a, a very good group of public servants and explained why that was not possible to do because you'd have to physically manipulate the pay run because otherwise it would impact upon your business activity statement, mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. payment advices, mm-hmm. uh, long service leave, uh, super anyway. It just made no sense. Anyway, she, the instructions that were given to the public servants were fix this. And, and uh, I was told it would only take five minutes because if you haven't never done it, you think, oh, you just press a few buttons and it's done. That's what you think. Anyway, so, and I said, no, nothing takes five minutes. Now, it may take five minutes after you've spent a week setting it up, mm-hmm. but nothing takes five minutes. That's ridiculous. Anyway, so they come out with the guidelines. 
right, and it's called the uh, Pay Parental Leave Employer Toolkit. How many pages was it? 48 pages. There we go. <laughs> well, it gets worse. The last four pages consist of HTML and XML code. That's all, it's all listed there. And what they've said is, here, here's some code to help you do it. Code? Code. What I got my 11-year-old to help me with the coding for my business. Well, to put in parental leave. Right. But what they've said is, we want you to hack in to your software and change the code to suit your particular business's needs wow. on this particular issue. That is illegal. To have a government telling me to go and hack into Zero, which it's online, or Mile, which is online, I mean, it's illegal. What it's, did Fair Work have to say about this? Well, they, m- most people aren't aware of it, and they turn yeah. a blind eye to it because it's all too hard. Yeah. But this came from the Department of Human Services, but it came from government policy driven by ideology. So, is in this is a great example of where I believe that Self-assessment is the bane of every small business's existence because we are declaring information. We're we're running reports. Um, not, as you said, ninety-five percent of those people who are running these reports are trying to do the right thing. They may not be accurate or correct, but we're trying. Why is that burden of self-assessment always pushed back onto small business? Why? Why isn't the government doing the assessing? Is that just a way of them saving, cost saving? Well, yeah, and it's the ideology, the laissez-faire economists. They say, look, you're in business, that's all there is about it. And they say that, they don't say it to me a second time because it's incapable of saying it a second time by the time I'm finished. They say, you know, you're in business. Um, How hard is it, Mr Strong? But perhaps if we change the conversation around self-assessment and we said, well... they're doing a better job. I get the impression that they're getting a better job of doing consultation and talking to real people on the ground to find out what the reality of each of these situations is. Now, one of the things I was talking to Michaelia Cash, and those of you who are regular listeners know that we're always talking to politicians here on Small Biz Matters, and we have an interview with Michaelia Cash, which is going to air next week. And I was saying to her, my bane, the bane of my existence and so many hundreds of business that I speak to, employee versus contractor tool. Just fix it. Mm. Give me one place where I can legitimately and honestly answer a set of questions that helps me to determine whether someone is an employee or a contractor and whether or not I should be paying them super. All in one place, please. Because there's five pieces of legislation, both federal and state, which currently cover those regulations. And there are five different calculator tools. And this is my big push. I want to see government fix that. Give us a one-stop shop, which Michaelia Cash was saying very earnestly yesterday, business.gov.au is going to be the one-stop shop. But you can't have a one-stop shop if you've got two major uh, major legislative bodies, the ATO and Fair Work, operating with the same question, the same question, employee versus contractor. So what can we do to fix that? Because that for me is just... That's the extension of red tape. That's where we trip over it. We don't even know where to look to answer the question when we're trying to do the right thing. How do we even start untangling that mess, Peter? Well, first of all, I think, and by the way, you're right, well done. And Michaela's doing a great job. And, you know, some people have a problem with Michaela. So far. So far, well, we'll see what happens after the election. But um, the issue, we've also got to come together in industry and, and employers and sort out what we believe, right? So most of us agree on what we want. But you get a situation where someone says with... Uh, deliveroos and these sorts of things is, you know, there's not much money there and they'll drag drag wages down Mm. and people are saying we need to really look at that and and say, well, hang on a minute, are they really contractors or is there a problem here? But then other people will say, but if you want to do it and you're happy to do it, 
Um, why can't you go and run a business doing that? Yeah, why can't I earn a little bit of side hustle? What's wrong with doing that? Yeah. So mm. we, we've got to come together ourselves and say, okay, let, let's go back. We will go back to government and say this is our definition of what it is. And it's built on reality. What's How on earth do you do that, though? You're talking about hospitality on one side, construction on another, um, you know, consultants working from home, even just people having a very simple relationship with my graphic designer. The whole thing about whether the graphic designer comes in, into your office and works with you as opposed to working externally. Are they overseas? Are they here? I mean, all those, all those questions that make it quite tricky. How, how and not to push the, 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 the question back on you, but yeah. how on earth do we start to have that conversation? Do we just pull apart one issue at a time and try and fix that? And, you know, with legislation, that can take months, years. And well, meanwhile, small business is still tri- tripping over yeah. the red tape. Well, we had a round table on this last year where we had the tax commissioner there and the Fair Work Ombudsman, etc., which was really good. Mm. And what, what came out of it, we say, okay, in the United States where they have the same problem, they've actually targeted the industries where the problem exists. So in a lot of industries, it doesn't exist. But as you said, hospitality, it does. So they've got a rule for hospitality. We have that. It's TPAS. Yeah, and so then that's we've got starting one to be rolled out, right? So maybe we target these particular industries, and we talk to them and say, "What do we want?" And um, the head of the Bookkeepers Association was at that. Matthew Addison was at that meeting as well. Uh, so we we've started that debate, but as you said, we can't take years. The, you know, society's changed enormously, mm. and people are out there doing their own thing and happy to be doing their own thing. And that's the other challenge we say. And as we all know, when you start your own business as a, as a consultant in particular, you're often very happy to take a low amount of money just to establish your reputation. That's pretty normal. So you can't have the tax office saying then, well, no, you're an employee. Mm. And they, they get that, but they keep saying they've got to follow the rules, and they do. Yeah. So we've got to look at the rules and we've got to change them. So we see who wins this election. If, if Labor win, you're going to have the unions demanding. I mean, the unions at the moment are so far left. Well, the ACTU, let me say. And they'll be demanding that everybody's an employee. And then you've got some crazies at the other end who are demanding that everybody's a, a contractor. Mm. So in the middle is the rest of us, the rest of society. And we say, OK, we need to fix this so people aren't getting ripped off and there are people out there being given ABNs that shouldn't be. And small business isn't confused, that there's yep. no confusion and an additional workload on us to try and work through the admin. We're going to take a break, quick break here on Small Biz Matters and when we come back, we're going to wrap up today's show. We're talking to Peter Strong here, the CEO of Cosboa Australia. Uh, we'll be back after this. And welcome back to Triple H here live in the studio. You're with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd and we're talking to Peter Strong, our advocate, our support person, the powerhouse who uh, speaks for us as a small business community. And there are a lot of us. I'm not going to call us the engine room because I hate that expression or the backbone, but we are, we are everything, Peter. We are, I, I said to Michaela Cash yesterday during the meeting, I said, don't worry about the economy or employment because we've got that. Like we've got that, we've got that sorted for you. It's all good. Let's talk about what you can do to make our lives easier. And just before the break, we were talking about cutting red tape and and um, how difficult that is to try and untangle the mess. When a new um, set of regulations come out, let's let's use single touch payroll, and it's not a great example because it is very important for the purposes of protecting our super and our workers and and to give people. Um, a right to the money that they're entitled to and to make sure that businesses are doing the right thing. And it's not, it's not a complicated piece of legislation. It's just one extra button that you have to press. Where do you start that conversation? Is, is that when they, they're announcing something like that in a two or three year lead in, do they consult 
with COSBOA? Do they consult with professional associations to find out what the impact's going to be? Or do they fumble along in the dark for a good six months and then go, okay, here's what we've decided. What do you think? What's the process? Because I think there's a lot of people curious about that. Well, there's a really good question. This is where Kate Carnell's office comes into Mm. it as well, is there was a stage there they'd go to three associations and that was it. They go and they go off to a some sort of economist somewhere, and that was it. Then they come out with it, and we'd all go, hang on a minute. <laughs> and they say, but we consulted, and nobody told us that. And we'd say, well, you asked the wrong people. Yeah. So when people come to me, and I like to say, like, I like to think I know a few things, but it's, you also need to go and talk to these people. And I'll name the ones, if it's about finance, I'll put them onto the finance brokers. If it's about other things, I'll put them onto the bookkeepers or the accountants or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. You need to talk to these people. Now, Kate Carnell and, and I are working on a process to say to government agencies, right, here is how you are going to go and consult on this. Go to Kate Carnell's office yes, and she will give you the names of associations that you go and see because you and I know not every association is worth visiting. Most are, but there's some set up by people for um, political reasons, not for small business reasons. So Kate Carnell's office would say, here's some bona fide associations and we recommend you go to these three. Don't go to the others because it's not an interest to them, but for these three it's a key. So that's what we want to do to change that is stop going to the same old people who actually have never run a business. This is one of the problems. Go to these people. They know what they're talking about and they truly represent their members. Very. Just to wrap up today, I want to talk to you about a really important issue, which is um, payment times. So on the ground, um, you know, I speak to a lot of businesses and the it seems as though the payment times are getting pushed further and further out. Uh, Michaelia Cash's office yesterday was saying that they're, they're doing their best to improve that. They've inc- they've improved it from 30 days to 20 days, for example, for small business. Now, to me, that is still revolting. It's still three weeks. As a small business, we always look after our contractors first. We pay them first. We pay the little guys. So it's small businesses and economy who are wearing that uh, burden of cash flow. Other countries have legislated for a specific uh, invoicing turnaround is there any hope that the Australian government could do something like that or do the big boys have too much lobbying power and are too hungry for that interest that they're earning off the money where they're hanging on to it for small business? Well, here I'm now going to defend some of the big boys, a lot of them. So we've been working, uh, we probably brought this, we brought this up as a big issue back in the Gillard years and the Gillard government started working on it, then there was a change of government and went into the background and now we've got uh, the... Business Council of Australia has got a, 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 a pay-on-time protocol, which has been signed up to by about 80, 80 organisations. Now, there's a lot that haven't signed it, but 80 have. So some of the, the heads of mining companies, for example, have said to me, and, and they've been embarrassed, but let me give them credit for this, they've said, we didn't get it. So when you're sitting at a board meeting of a multi-trillion billion dollar organisation, you're looking at your accounts, you're not thinking down at the, at the level, and you probably, we probably don't want them to to a, to a degree, but they said, it, we just missed it, that this is a human being at the end of this payment. And so they're, they're really trying to change it now. Changing at the board level is one thing, you've got to change the whole culture hmm. of an organisation to get that happening. So we've started the process, the government at the moment is looking at fining people, um, or not giving them government contracts, etc. if they don't pay on time. The opposition's talking about the same thing. So there's a lot of momentum here to make sure that we get paid. That's really exciting policy. Like, that needs to be shouted from the rooftops as something that could actually make a difference. So to me, if you're talking about the engine room of the economy, 
this will accelerate the economy by giving small business their money sooner. So yep. there is actually stuff happening and, and oh, things is. that, that are starting is. to happen, not in, in, in terms of the big boys, government starting to pay faster. I, I do recall that the, the minister yesterday said that um, the federal and the state are being pushed. What about um, councils? Because in a lot of areas, the council is often the biggest employer and, and the biggest contributor to the local economy. Well, are they being forced to do that as well? Well, it's interesting because I had a conversation with uh, Robin Hobbs who's the New South Wales Small, Small Business, Business Commissioner, Commissioner, about this exact issue. Mm. So she's really working hard on it as well. And so we're looking at naming and shaming to start off with. Yep. Because you, you put legislation in, like, as much as we like legislation for various things, it's also a bit of a nuisance if you can get the culture going. So if you're a council out there and you're paying your small business people on time, we're going to name you and we're going to praise you. And if you're not, we're going to name you. And shame you. Oh, yes. And and it's, it's you're in a local area. Why are you not paying this local business person, I mean, at least on 30 days? Why are you you're holding it back 60 days? And this, this is one of the people that vote for you. That's right. You exactly. Know, this and, is crazy. And have voting power and, and, and almost, and, and they support your local economy by employing yeah. locally as well. And before you talked about um, the backbone of the economy and those things, which is, you know, which is people, throwaway lines these days, and you were talking about what else we do. One of the things I've been talking about is we are the backbone of community sport. Mm. And people sit up and take notice because you go around Australia and on the back of shirts, you see the name of a panel beater or a pie shop or a chemist or whatever. Um, but on the boards is often nearly always going to be a self-employed person on the golf club or on the soccer club or on the netball or whatever. And with the backbone of community charities. You know, where's the money come from? But who sits on those charities? The treasurer is so often a self-employed person. So, as you say, we're an integral part of our whole culture. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we're treated with respect. We don't want anything special, just respect. Not just throwaway lines. Yep. Well, look, that's a great way to sum up today's show. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I love to hear about what the role of Cosboa is to the everyday small business person, but also how you're taking it to legislation, both at the federal and the state and even the, the, the smaller level of government as well. Thank you for all the work that you do on behalf of small business. I'd love to have you back on the program to talk a little bit more about um, particular policy decisions that are being rolled out and then the role that Cosboa has in each of those. And we can also talk forever about um, different ways that red tape is yes. constricting, but also ways that we're trying to lift the burden of red tape as well. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about the conference that you've got coming up at the uh, at later on in the year. Yeah, well, we've got our annual conference. It's our 20th, I think, um, at the big event uh, on the 30th August. of August uh, in Melbourne. And it goes for a day and a half. We, as I say, we have regu- all the regulators turn up. It's a fantastic e- session. We normally have a poly- we normally have the prime minister or the treasurer. We have the deputy, pri- the opposition leader to be confirmed. Yeah, all these things <laughs> to be confirmed, etc. And we have the um, the small business minister. We have different people turn up. We have some of our great supporters turn up from um, from the corporate world. And we confront the issues. We sit there and we talk about the real issues for us as people, not us as businesses. Right, because if you look after us as people, our business is going to be fine and the economy will be fine and everything will be fine. But if you look after us as businesses, that means you think we're going to be able to do everything under the sun and we can't. That summit is a key event for a small business in Australia. Is that something that people can attend or is it more um, just to keep an eye out on the PR that's coming out after the event to find out what actually happened? Well, well, it's leading up to it as well. I mean, there's lots of PR and challenges that we put out there leading up to the summit, um, but people can attend it. It's in Melbourne this year. Um, we rotate normally Melbourne, Sydney and sometimes Brisbane, but it's in Melbourne this year. It's, as I say, it's, the, it's, it's always been exciting because we've been there and people have seen us talked about as us 
it's not a, it's not an economic conference. Mm. It's a small business person conference mm. uh, summit. And uh, that's the exciting part about it. We talk about mental health. We talk about the reality of what happens out there when you're sitting at home by yourself. The reality of what it's like when you've got to look someone in the eye and tell them that they've lost their job. You know, not many people enjoy doing that. So these are the realities we talk about. And people enjoy saying, okay, this, this is my world you're talking about, whereas other, other organisations will run one around ideology and theory. Well, that's great. And, and make sure you keep an eye out for what's happening there. And, of course, people can find out more via the COSBOA website um, and all the work that you're doing in and around the election and um, policy legislation and stuff. Thank you so much for joining us on and the And thank you and keep doing the good work. Thank you so much. You've been listening to... Uh, Triple H 100.1 FM and Small Biz Matters broadcasting live from the studios. We will be back next week with another fantastic guest and of course make sure you keep an eye out on the website for this and all the other podcasts there's over 130 on smallbizmatters.com.au plus 70 to download lots of practical strategies and we have yet to repeat a topic because there is so much to talk about when it comes to small business. Thanks for listening again and we'll see you all next week.